0: Shalom Aleichem, and welcome to Start Tank. My name is Yaakov Wolf. Dark Tank is a weekly conversation about the challenges and opportunities of being a Ben Torah in the workforce. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to join our quiet WhatsApp group, where we send exclusive bonus content and updates. The link is in the show notes. Today's guest is Dean Noam Wasserman, the Dean of Sai Sims School of Business at Yeshiva University. Before taking up that role in 2019, he was a professor at Stanford, USC, and Harvard Business School. He wrote two best-selling books, The Founder's Dilemma, and Life as a Startup. And, as we'll hear in the interview, he learns a lot of Torah. We discussed Torah, business, and the intersection between the two. And at the very end of our conversation, he threw in a story that blew my mind. And now it's time to dive in into the Star Tank Dean Noam Wasserman. Thank you so much for joining us today. shalom, Yaakov Wolf. Before your current role as the Dean of Sci-Sims, you were a teacher at Harvard Business School. And we're not going to go into discussion as to what we think of that institution today, but it's certainly a prestigious business school. And now you run a different prestigious business school. Could you explain the main differences between Sci-Sims and Harvard Business School or the broader business education world?
1: Sure, absolutely. It's... um big, important differences between the two of them. Uh, One of them, this was about three years ago, I was walking out of the main administrative building at YU, Belfer Hall, and I was walking out with my usual Gemara under my arm and saw coming across the street YU's general counsel, the chief lawyer, walking along with Rav Yosef Kolinsky, who's the dean of undergrad Torah studies, and two gentlemen, obviously not Jewish, very distinguished, though. And uh, they grabbed me and they introduced me, dean of the business school. And Ralph Quincy said, what's under your arm? And I talked to them about, you know, like the Gemara, you know, things like that, the role that it plays in in our day and stuff uh, that I thought they might not know about. Turns out, I think I confirmed this afterwards, those are the two lawyers who were helping YU in its Supreme Court case. And they were trying to get their arms around what is YU? In some ways, they were asking that same question about, is there anything unique about it compared to that? And when they asked, essentially what I said is, it's like the excellence of HBS, but with values. That a lot of what we do is grounded in our Masora, the long-time, millennia's old millennium old wisdom that we have across the generations. The Torah as the centerpiece, but then it drives the way in which we look at the world in which we interact with people beyond uh, the the Arba Kanfo, the the Arba the Dalamos of of Yiddishkeit. Um, And so the values piece is definitely a big part of that. Um, There's other things that turn into like other parts of the education, like um, the practical orientation of the education. You learn something in the classroom and you immediately apply it. And then you're able to learn better the next time around. When you walk into the classroom, you um, do a variety of things where we try to make sure that it's going to be the depth of knowing, doing and being. Not just the knowing that gets shoveled into you with a a lecture, but also the very talkless, the very hands-on things that you'll be able to learn in the classroom. There's definitely a difference in the culture. Um, I remember my first week. It was very formative. There are other ways in which it might come up during our discussion. Um, The first Wednesday morning, I had a faculty member stop in and say, guess what I did last night? Turns out he had gone to a wedding of a student he had taught about four years before. That would not have happened at... Harvard Business School would not have happened in the other other places that I've taught, at Columbia, at Stanford, at USC, or anything like that, to have the depth of that connection between the students and the faculty that years later at your key milestones of life, that they still want to be able to involve you and have you there to be able to celebrate a market with them is another remarkable part of the, the culture, the way in which it is lifelong relationships, not just one off, you are a face in a classroom, and then you never see each other again, that the smaller classes also, it's one of the things just, it seems like a very logistics kind of thing about what is the class size, but it has fundamental implications for the relationships that can be developed in the student-to-student relationships when you're in a smaller class. You're going to get to know each other a lot better, but also the faculty, being able to mentor the students, being able to guide them because it is a faculty member with two dozen students rather than a couple of hundred students. And so you can really have a lot of the deeper things that can happen That is very much rounding out the full person, the 24 hours of the student, not just the nine to five of the student and really being able to prepare them for life.
0: Can you tell us about the mission of Sai Sims as you articulated it as the dean?
1: Well, we coalesced it once I came on board as a dean, but the the mission of Sai Sims is to develop Torah grounded professionals who excel in the workplace and in the community. And one of the key things about that mission is it drives just about everything. It helps us understand what curriculum to create, whom to hire, like all of the things that we wanna put in place to be able to coalesce in addition to classroom experiences, the other enhancements that we wanna be able to do for the student experiences and other things like that. Um, And there's all sorts of ways in which, uh, we actually had in April, we had our every five years accreditation review And when the reviewers, three deans from other business schools who come in to scrutinize you, were sitting down at the end of it together with me and the president, Rabbi Berman, um, and the provost. um, The first thing they called out was the distinctiveness of the mission. They said that we review other business schools. You can just take the name of the business school off of the mission and plug in any other business school's name, and it looks the same. So no one else would be able to put their name on the SciSim's mission because it captures the uniqueness and the power of what we develop within NYU. You have the Torah U business. You have the way in which the U of connecting the two of them is fundamental, being Torah grounded in the workplace. The broader impact of the 24 hours of the students that we were talking about before, a lot of times, 5 p.m. to 9 a.m., taking your business school skills and being able to translate them into being Oseg Bitzar or contributing to the community, as being a critical thing of being able to develop that. That is the excelling in the community part of the, of the, of the mission statement. Um, And so we actually had the report that we gave to the accreditation body. They have nine standards that you're supposed to speak to curriculum, faculty, things like that. Every one of those sections started off. Our mission statement is this, and this is how this part of it is able to attend to it. And that helps everyone understand what is inside of scope, what is outside of scope, what kinds of things should we be doing? What are the holes we have to fill? And what are the things that are already strong but should get stronger? And those are a lot of things that we've been doubling down on over the last five years.
0: I want to dive deeper into that mission and how it expresses itself. But before that, I want to maybe just take a couple steps back and hear from you, your personal background. You know, Toro business is a great slogan that I think, based on what I know of you, really describes you very, very deeply. So, can you tell us briefly about how you ended up becoming so passionate about the connection of Torah with business?
1: Well, I think we can always trace a lot of it to the upbringing, um, being able to take a look at the role models, the people who kind of like set the tone, influenced us and everything. Um, part of it is also the education that we go through, of um, knitting the two of them together. Um, I, my Zadie in New York, he had a shul. Um, he... His kids, you know, one of them, the oldest one, a uh, um, long time Rav in Passaic. And so you've got the very deep uh, side of the Torah part of the family. My father almost became a Rav also, but then ended up becoming an orthodontist, but would learn, was a leader in the shul, leader in the community and other things like that. And my mother also was a key player when it came to Oseg Bitzar and the Chlesa Sorkim that we learn and things like that. And so that's where we're seeing that a key part of what we have to build is being able to bridge worlds, Torah, business, Torah, medicine. You know, my wife, a doctor, you know, very much also that kind of a role model of Torah medicine um, and the same kind of thing that we try to raise within our kids. Of, uh, For instance, my oldest is the only one who didn't go to YU. All my other kids have gone to YU, but the oldest went to the Yaakov and then went to MIT. And so being able to have that bridging of the worlds, taking the best of the two, and now she's knitting them together to be able to be raising her family and being able to have the same kind of impact of stressing that we have to be able to be the unique that brings together the ooh. And if we can have deep grounding in each of them and then be able to find the unique ways that we can be able to um, have the power that comes from being able to move across those worlds and be able to bring the best to them, that's what we want to be able to do. Um, in terms of like the evolution, grew up in L.A., uh, went to, even though it didn't really have that much of a relationship with Y.U. I went to Y.U. L.A. I went to U.L.A. for high school. Um, then went to Eretz Israel, went to Shalavim. Um, and then undergrad, it was, you know, continuing to be able to try to have as we're developing like the excellence in uh, the in the secular, if you will, about being able to. How much can we learn? How much can we be the Chavra and the, the Hillel? Um, started life as an engineer and came into college as an engineer, but then added on the business part of it. And again, it's bridging even within the, if you will, the 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 Mada part of it. Um, doing both business and engineering is bringing those together in a different type of ooh. And then if we can be able to have our Yiddish type be able to inform it, a variety of the other things that has definitely given me a different lens on it. I'll uh, just give you one example. So after working for five years, going back from my MBA, and then uh, had some people, a couple of professors, and convinced me to stick around at Harvard and get my PhD after I got my MBA there. Um, Then studied for, now it's going on 25 years, the early decisions that founders make that get them in trouble. And when I would be, I developed a course at Harvard that we called the Founders Dilemmas course. When the first day that we would be teaching about founding teams, I would be bringing into it Azure Connecto. Because that was a lens that I got on founding team relationships that shaped how I look at them, and thought that we'd be able to benefit from being able to discuss founding teams through that kind of a lens. So I'd be saying they're in the Harvard classroom. Does anyone know who the founding team of the world was? Does anyone know what is the two-word relationship that the Bible describes as what they should be having there? We got into Azer Kenegdo and about the tug and pull. Uh, We didn't explicitly get into Rashi versus the Nitziv and the Machlokas that they have about what it means. Um, I'm very much a Nitziv type when it comes to that, about the Kenegdo, the pushback, is the ultimate Azer that someone's helping you be able to see where you can do better and things like that, but bringing it into the classroom that first day. The last day of the semester, when we're talking about entrepreneurial failure and resilience, those students will be hearing about Rabbi Akiva as our case study. They will be hearing about Gamsa I would be having these non jewish students walking out of the class with Gamsa Latova on their, on their lips. I still get an update email on a regular basis from Dilip Rao, one of my students in Founders of Lemmas, who talks to me about the bumps in the road as he's founding, And the ways in which he is finding ways to get stronger from the new uh, perspective that it gives him and other things along those lines. And so that's where we're trying to bridge the worlds, bring the uniqueness. What do we learn in the Torah and the Masora that then gives us some added insights that we can bring into uh, the other part of life? And so it's bringing all those together. That's been like the, the upbringing and then the now seeing the power of it throughout the last few decades.
0: And with regards to Talmud Torah, you are involved very deeply in Talmud Torah, in addition to bringing the Torah values outwards, but there's also the inwards Torah experience. How do you view those muscles of being a bent Torah, learning Torah, while also being busy with either a business or a career and all the other things that life throws at us?
1: No, I think this is one of the critical things that right now, I mean, Eretz Israel giving a bunch of talks at yeshivas and seminaries and things like that about building your foundation for the next decades of life. And we talk about, like, the excellence in the content part of it, uh, how when you're studying finance or marketing and things like that, you've been able to raise the game in terms of the strength of the people and the courses who are developing that in the students. But we also talk about the intangibles. Intangibles are going to be the values. They're going to be building the integrity muscles and things like that. But also the habits and the other things that are going to be setting you up for life. Unfortunately, if you don't do it during college, then you are gonna find it even tougher to build the covea Iti muscles. The how to be able to carve out key pieces of your day to be able to do davening and learning and other things like that. And so it's actually at YU that students are building those types of muscles. Um, some of the recurring questions that I get is, how do people fit in everything? That's what the students who are here who are hearing about all the things on campus and the dual curriculum and the clubs and other things like that. They're like, how do they have time to do that and learn and do everything else? And I said, this is how it is helping prepare you for those decades of life. You learn time management. You learn prioritization. You learn all of the things that go into what you're going to have to face out there. You're practicing it in the easier environment now. You're building those muscles and going to continue strengthening them throughout life. And that's one of the things that actually employers praise YU students about. Um, They say that when they hire students from other campuses, that at two in the afternoon, their tongues are dragging on the floor. They're exhausted. That was when class was ending for them. They said, the YU students are looking at them. They're still going strong. The YU students look back at them and say, I was just starting class at 2. I was going until after night nightstander at 10 p.m. And then I was starting to do my homework. Well, how could you do that? Well, this is how I built my work ethic. This is how I was able to understand a bunch of the things that I was going to need for the workplace and being able to manage all those things. Um, for me, uh, my going to Night Seder is one of the key blessings that I have on campus. That's part of my Kovea and being able to make sure that every night that I don't have like a YU conflict in it, that I can be with the, with that in the guys there uh, during the window. It's not always the entire two hours, but being able to do in the eight to ten of uh, being able to do Night Seder, uh, being able to do some learning in the morning before Nate's Minion, being able to carve it out with that. Um, and to me, one of the key things we also have to have people appreciate. Is that you don't start out doing deep dafyomi, like you have to you have to get to it over time. If you see someone who's doing so Bliyayin hara, I just had my third siyum that I did right before Rosh Hashanah um, Had pushed to do two dafim a day, what we call double daf, because it would enable me to finish shas this past cycle when it was the hundredth anniversary of the founding of of dafyomi. Ramir Shapiro, Rosh Hashanah 1923, started it off, world-changing innovation, and that meant that Rosh Hashanah 2023 was going to be the Sioux. And so I was doing doubled off to be able to complete that. My first round of Shas, I could not have done even close to doubled off. You have to start doing it smaller, doing the regular pace, being able to do as much as you can then. The next time around, and this was a very formative thing that Rabbi Fran talked about, about three or so Siu of ago about having to go Mechayel each round, that you don't just do the same daf over again, that if you read through it in 30 to 40 minutes this time around, then start going to a shear. If you went to a shear, then you know each time around, you should go Mechayel Khail. And so over time, as I was going through each of the rounds, that's where you get deeper, you get stronger at being able to do it. But don't, from the beginning, swing for the fences at being able to do all of it, because that's going to be a much tougher hill to do if you haven't built the muscles on the way to it. And so college is a building of the muscles. When you get out there for your first job, you will hopefully be able to build on that and get it even stronger. And the same kind of thing as you go through each round of doing Shas.
0: I really love that. And I also appreciate the fact that it sort of flips a common misunderstanding on its head, which is that some people think of Yeshiva as like their climax and the rest of their life is sort of a slow decline, but you can actually look at it as like, it's a new building that starts low, but then can build up, 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 up. And it's not, the momentum is upward and not downward throughout your career as a Ben So I really appreciate that as well.
1: I love that take that you just had on it. Um, it reminds me of sometimes I get some of the students come by. I meet just about every day with some of the students. Um, and sometimes one of the comments that I get from them when I ask them about the biggest surprise that they've had about college, they were expecting them when they were going from learning full-time in yeshiva, that it was going to be a step down on the Torah side. And the biggest surprise to them was, was that they were able to step it up that they were able to have their Torah game upped at the same time as they were adding on the Sci-Sims courses and things like that. And even in the Sci-Sims curriculum, there's a bunch of things in the Ooh that we bring to them uh, to be able to have them be able to see a lot of the new ways in which they're going to be able to bring their Torah into the workplace and deepening the Tachlis side of what they're learning and things like that. But to have them say that they got even deeper in their Yiddishkeit and in their learning by coming to college is a great example of that interim stage about going Mechayel Elchayel that you were just highlighting.
0: A couple of years ago, you felt the need to introduce a Jewish values curriculum into SciSims. Can you tell me a little bit about what you felt was missing from the Jewish business world that you were trying to fill that gap and how someone who's maybe not in SciSims can fill those gaps in their own life?
1: Sure. So sometimes it came from personal experience, but also talking to lots of other people. When you come out of college, you are not ready for the workplace challenges that you're going to test. your are Yiddish guide. And the more that we can build those muscles also during undergrad, be able to understand a bunch of the things that we have to be prepared for and then prepare for them, the much better we're going to be able to be to be able to, to, to deal with them when they hit. It also has some fundamental implications of if you know more about those challenges, you might decide to go on a different career path. And so there's a, you know some other fundamental things that come from it. But overall, like my own experience is interviewing, having to deal with When do I tell them about Shabbos? When do I have them realize that they're not going to have me for 25 hours a week? Um, uh, How do I prepare for the mandatory orientation lunch that's going to be in a tref restaurant? Or the holiday parties, and should I be going to them? And if so, what gedarim should I be building around that? Uh, The classic ones of kippah in the workplace, shaking hands in the workplace, all those things. Those are things that typically, from Jews who went to college, are not ready for when they get into the workplace. And that is where there are going to be real tests of your values, real tests of you know your adherence to alaka and other things like that. The more that we can prepare you for that, the better. And so uh, that's one of the courses that we developed that we then deployed two and a half, three and a half years ago now um, when we created the Jewish Values Curriculum and introduced it. Uh, we had an Eloy in the realm of practical workplace alaka, a guy named Ari Wasserman, who developed that course for us. And in it, you see the marumakomos, so you're familiar with the halacha, the shkafa, and all the other things that go into it. You see the role models, people who have faced this and one of the solutions that they found in it. You are able to both learn about those and also what we're deepening now about even being able to practice those difficult conversations. Doing a role play with your boss about Shabbos. Being ready for what they're going to throw back at you, As but if we have a really strict deadline midday Saturday... I mean, I can't even call on you on then, you know, other things like that, that you're going to be able to be a lot better prepared for the unexpected when it comes to those types of things. Um, and then going down like each of the paths within that course on its own about this is the next challenge you're going to be facing. Here's the Mara McComas, here are the role models, here are the top list practices that you have around that type of stuff. If you go back to the Sims mission, it's core to the mission. It is where you are going to make sure you're being totally grounded, that you're going to be able to excel during the other 24-6 in the workplace, but they're gonna be able to make sure you can adhere to those values. And then other pieces of the Jewish values curriculum that we have, um, there's a, when we look at the mission statement, again, back to informing everything, excelling in the community. So Reb David Bashevkin developed a course for us called Jewish Public Policy that he teaches along with Reb Daniel Feldman, that enables you to see how to be Oseg Bitzarfei Tzibor, among other things, take your business skills and translate it into communal thinking, Contributing to the schools, the schools, the sedaka organizations by being able to have during your 5 p.m. to the 9 a.m., serving on their boards of directors or being the executive director of those organizations and other things like that, where you're being a key bridge about being able to make sure that you're contributing not just to your household, not just to your company, but also to the rest of the community. And then several other things that we have within that curriculum to be able to prepare the other parts of it. Uh, one of our most recent, two of our most recent uh, professors that we added to the Jewish Values curriculum. One is a gentleman named Moish Bain. Moish was a senior partner of Ropes and Gray, a major law firm, and for the last six years, the head of the OU. And when he retired from each of them, he came aboard as a Cy sims professor. He teaches a course that Ari Wasserman developed, but then Moish has created his own flavor of it called Designing Your Jewish Life. About being able to make when it comes to decisions that are going to change. When you make that decision, it's going to change the trajectory of your life, key inflection point decisions, how to make it in an intentional way. So about choice of career, choice of the community to live in, choice of even your spouse, about how to be intentional about being able to do those types of things. And one of our other ones who just joined last semester is a woman named Erica Brown, the head of the Jonathan Sachs Center at YU, who teaches when it's on the women's campus, women's leadership through both our Svarim and also through modern management uh, readings, like you're able to see the bridge Torah u business, and be able to see how it's going to shape you as a leader. And now on the men's campus, she's teaching a you know the non gender specific, if you will, uh, version of it of being able to see a leadership course and being able to learn from among the best in the field about this. And typically, especially in the practical workplace, alacha course, it is people who've worked in the real world and are have gotten rabbinic calls. And that's where they can be that bridge about being able to be the ooh and bringing it together for you to have you be prepared for it.
0: And for those who don't have the blessing of studying in your school, what were the best resources that they could tap into to be able to improve themselves in these areas, specifically halacha and the big inflection points that really drive so much of what our life looks like? What what should they be doing?
1: So two things come to mind. Um, One of them is do it carefully, but you know, make sure that you have someone who, when you hit a shila, they'll know how to be able to go to them. The do it carefully part is make sure that that person is the same type that we tap within the curriculum of being grounded both in you know, rabbinic walls and the business world. Make sure they have a context for what goes on. Uh, when you say to them, can I go to this holiday party that's not going to be serving alcohol, that they can relate to what other kinds of things go on at corporate holiday parties, When you're talking to them about, you know, the other forks in the road that we've talked about, that they can relate to that, but they can bring strength in halacha and, you know, all the other things that go into that. And so a selah hara would be the first of those. A key part of it is also learning when to go to a rav with a question. And so that's one of the other key things we do within the course. And so being able to tune into that, but brings up the second one. So Ari Wasserman has written multiple sfarim in this realm. Making it work is the Bible, if you will, of being able to be prepared for these types of issues. It's the core of what he then leapt off into into the course. Um, women in the workplace, he co-authored with his wife, who is a sci Sims grad, who experienced it herself when she was working. Uh, Making it all work is the book that they did in that realm for the women's side of it. So that's where you can be able to get a bit of the taste of it, not to the same depth, not with them in front of the classroom shaping you. Um, but that's where you can get, at least they pass through those.
0: Okay. I want to transition a little bit to the business world and the way you see it. There's a conception out there that says that because of various factors, Jews are driven to very high income fields and high income professions at the expense of maybe devoting themselves and their careers to higher social capital and nonprofit work. What's your take on that?
1: So to me, I can give you a little bit of an insight that I got back when I was at Harvard. And um, about how business has to be socially oriented and even the nonprofits have to be business oriented. And so at Harvard, they have a, each year, a business competition where people are pitching, um, uh, pitching their, you know, their startups, having a judge team that is, uh, you know, judging which are the best ones of them, getting feedback from them and things like that. They would have two tracks. There was the classic business track. And then there was what they called the social enterprise track. I remember I seeing one slide that they had put up with the names and brief descriptions of the five finalists from each of those tracks. And what I realized was, if you just take off the label at the top of it about which track they were on, I really could not tell which they were in. The social enterprise ones knew that they had to be sustainable businesses. You know that even if you're a nonprofit, you have to make sure that there's a business model that has enough cash coming in to be able to have you sustain pursuing your mission. And the business ones should always make sure that they're having some kind of social way that they are contributing to the world. And so either way, you need the organizational skills. Either way, you need the communal orientation. When you bring the two of those together, that's where you can make you know, a lot of the key contributions, a lot of the impact, a lot of the magic happen in that realm. So I very much prefer, can give it another example of it, I hadn't thought of it until now, but the ultimate ooh also. <laughs> You know, the ooh between the sustainable organization and the social mission. Bringing the two of them together, not having it be an either or, is to me a critical part of that.
0: Beautiful. That's beautiful. I want to finish off with uh, taking a look at the pipeline. You have young men and women coming into Sims and they go out into the community. As they come into Sims, what do you see are the biggest misconceptions that young people have about the world of business
1: today? So, One of them is that there's a very limited short list of things they could go off and do. They've heard of, recurringly, maybe a handful of things that you can do. And one of the key things that we have to do is force them to explore, have them realize that there's lots of other things. They know about one forest. Say that they're coming in and they're saying, I have to major in finance because I want to be an investment banker. And we have to pull back on the reins and say, it's very possible you should major in finance. But investment banking is only one tree in that vast forest. Let's introduce you to a bunch of the other trees. Or on the flip side of it, sometimes they say, I wanted to major in finance, but I don't want to be an investment banker, so I can't major in finance. Well, let's introduce you to wealth management. Let's introduce you to commercial banking. Let's introduce you to a bunch of the other ones that will enable you to maybe have that better life, to be able to have the balance, be able to have the values that you want to have. And so being able to expand their scope, being able to have them realize Um, that there's a lot more out there that they should put toes into those waters, that they might want to dive into other pools than they've anticipated. Um, That's one of the key things that we find. And then the curriculum, it's structured to have them not have blinders on about what they're going to be doing. A lot of times the unexpected is where the gems are. A lot of times you find like the match for the kochos that Hashem gave you is not in anything that you've heard until now. It's not been any of the things that people are whispering in your ear that you should be doing. And so what we have in the first year of the curriculum is having them take courses across all five majors, one to two courses in each of them. And a lot of times magic happens in the unexpected ways of they're finding that this is a better fit for me than the one that I anticipated or that there's a more than one of them that's going to be a better fit for me. Uh, we very much encourage the students to pull from all of YU, regardless of which school it's in, and to maybe do multiple things. So something that we call duals, dual majoring. Majoring and minoring, other things like that. Four years ago, 54% of our, our students did duels. Now, 74% of our students are doing duels because a lot of the best jobs, a lot of the most rewarding ones, a lot of the ways in which you're going to have a lot more of an impact is if you build multiple pillars. And so it's expanding their vision to be able to see beyond what the initial set of things is. So that's one of the, uh, the key parts of it. Another one is that they think that you can't have the ooh. You're going to have to choose between Torah Torah. And between excelling in the workplace, have them see the role models. A lot of times it's the professors in front of them. A lot of the professors are SciSim's alumni or YU alumni who come back to teach them. They're working during the day, doing amazing things in the world. A president of a healthcare company, a senior venture capitalist, like a, a, a managing director of evaluations firm and things like that. These are some of our key professors who are in front of them every day throughout the semester, teaching them about the core content and ending each of the days with a Torah that's connected to what they learned, or where they're talking about their experiences in the workplace and things like that. And so having the students see those raw models who are able to knit it together, we're able to build those muscles over time. Um, that is one of the other key things that we have to have the students aspire to and be able to have a roadmap by being able to learn from those people about it.
0: And as students that you train go off into the workforce, you mentioned before that the mission is built on getting them ready to join the community. So we can make a distinction between joining an existing community and fitting in. And then there's also influencing, improving, developing, and even changing the community in a certain sense. Are there any areas that you'd really love to see your students going out? And I guess changing is a a strong word. Um, Are there any areas that you'd love to go see your students go out and really make a big impact within the world of the Jewish business professionals?
1: I think there's so many different flavors that we have of how... The students are already doing it even while they're at school, let alone when they go out. Um, I remember like a little bit of a surprise that I had when I came to YU. Uh, I'd be going around to different communities. They'd be taking me there to get a feel for the lay of the land. It did not surprise me that the Rav, who was the Rav of the shul or who was the the, the head of school or the, you know, the Vanile, things like that, that they had gone to YU. The surprise for me was that as I'm meeting the chairman of the board of directors of the shul or the school or you know other people who are key members of the community, they were also from YU, from a lot of times from sci Sims and things like that. I think already, and this is actually captured really nicely by the prior president of YU, Richard Joel. Uh, I think he was the one who coined this. this is what I've heard it uh, attributed to Shame Omro um, about YU is turning out the clay kodesh, but it's also turning out the lay kodesh. So the people are going to be able to bring those business skills into the community, even though they have a day job. They're the lay leaders who are going to be able to bring show to everything that they do. And that comes in so many flavors that it's hard to be able to boil it down. and give you one little example of it. Um, last month, I went down to Tampa to an annual conference that the OU does of executive directors, dominantly of schools, day schools in the U.S. And I was stunned by how many of those key players in the day schools uh, from that executive uh, director position were SciSim's alumni. Like, just... One after the other of people coming by and outing themselves as having gone to SciSims and things like that, we got into what things do you tap like. So many ways in which they were having a unique impact that if you don't have the business training, you're not going to be able to be as pointed, not as ready to be able to do that and things like that. Being able to understand organizations, how to read budgets. Some of them had been accounting majors at SIMs. Now they were able to really excel at being able to fill in the holes of the menahel who could not read the budget, think about the strategic marketing of their schools, think about the processes within it that they can put in place and other things along those lines. And so those are just some of the flavors. There's so many different ways that I'm hoping that our students are going out you know, as soon as they leave, immediately impacting in whatever of those flavors as a whole, wherever they are.
0: For a final question, I wanted to broaden the lens a little bit. It can seem that it's so difficult just to worry about my own Dalaramos, my job, my dafyomi, my family, my shul. So it's hard to think Broader, the broader Jewish community, but we are in a moment where we are sort of united by this fight against anti Semitism, this fight against those who want to destroy the Jewish people. Do you have any parting thoughts about how we, despite being so busy and working so hard to just take care of our own smaller circles, how we can be connected to the broader Am Yisrael in this time?
1: Um, I think one of the key things that we've learned since October 7th is about the critical role of unity. And that each person has a role they can play, even if they are thousands of miles away from Eretz Yisrael. And one of those, let's give you one example. I'll give you a couple of personal examples. Um, The big D.C. rally back in October. um, Why you sent down the biggest contingent, I think, of anyone to there. 44 buses, 2,500 people going from New York down to there. I was of those 44 buses to be the bus captain of bus number 14. Fourteen is Yad. What we talked about on that bus was Yadid. What is Yadid? The Beloved. Where is one of the things that we can see it coming from? Yad be Yad. Walking hand in hand. Two people coming together to be able to do things very powerfully. And it's only through the unity that they bring to it that it's going to be able to really become magic. And we talked about on that bus that all of us are Yad biyad, Yad, you know, going down to D.C., And then we are going to join Klal Yisrael more broadly, the Yad Biyad, walking with all the flavors of Yiddishkeit in unity to be able to support Eretz Yisrael. And then when we got down to there, they talked about one of the speakers, very powerfully talked about, we have what's been estimated as 300,000 people here. Right now, 300,000 Israelis who are being called up from the reserve. Put the two of them together, us over here, the 300,000 of them across the ocean, We are fighting together in the same direction. And by the way, that is the 600,000 that you say a special bracha for. In fact, on the bus, on the way up, when I was doing my Yerushalmi daf for that day, um, I'm not on cycle with everyone, so I was doing that out of the blue, was that bracha. And bracha is the Yerushalmi that I was talking about. And so on the way back, we talked about, we cited that speaker about the 600,000. We talked about the bracha and some of the ins and outs and things like that. But that was the unity of it all coming together. Even if we're here in the States, when we are there in Eretz Yisrael, we can all play some kind of unique role on the way to it. My parents, who made Aliyah two and a half years ago, every day at the beginning of the war, it was a new story about which chesed they were going to the next day for them to be able to be doing, tying tzitzis, uh, packing lunches, you know, all these kinds of things that everyone had their unique thing, even if they weren't putting on green, that they were all being able to support the people who were putting on the green. And so that unity as being a critical piece of it. The second of the personal stories. Um, when I was at that OU conference I had mentioned before down in Tampa, um, we were short of a minion, and so they were able to find another three Yidin who would be able to complete the minion that we had just before the conference started. Um, and after we finished that davening, you know, there were three guys who were like standing very nice in the corner. I went over to one of them, turned out to be someone named Ellie, and I said, Ellie, would you like to put on my tefillin? Something I'd never done before, but. I'd been inspired by some of the stories that were coming out from Eretz Israel about putting on trillin in the plains and the schus of the soldiers and things like that. And he said, yeah, uh, he was willing to do it and put on the film. We found six things for him to say in davening. And then afterwards, as we're wrapping it up, I said, "Ellie, that was so inspiring that you were willing to do that kind of a thing. Right now, I told him like a little bit about the stories that there are soldiers who have been called up who can't put on the film themselves and people doing that for them. And Ellie said, I have a cousin who has been called up and is in that category. I said, Ellie, you just connected with him. The unity that you brought across the ocean of being able to put on the twillin for him. Do you want to do that again tomorrow? The next day he did it. The next day, the third day of the conference, when the third that conference when it was ending, I said, Ellie, we're not together the next day. Do we want to try to be able to continue doing this? And he said, essentially, in the close of my of my of his cousin that he would try to keep doing that. The next morning, what we did was we decided in order to be able to encourage it a little bit that we would become Trillin Buddies. Essentially, this is taking a page out of the Ontario mindset training that we give our students. How you develop new habits and having an accountability buddy is a powerful way to be able to instill that. And so I said, Ellie, let's exchange pictures of us putting on our Trillin each day and see how many of these that we can keep going, see if we can be able to keep it up. So next morning, I was in Staten Island. Um, I was going to be giving a keynote at the Tribergs conference there in the youngest of Staten Island. I took a picture of myself and my Trillin. And texted it to Ellie, Bogartov Ellie, and, you know, have a great day. An hour later, he texted me his picture of him in Tefillin. Next morning, I'm back home in Boston and uh, I'm in Hayyadam. I said, take a picture. Greetings, Ellie, from Hayyadam in Brighton, Massachusetts. And he says back an hour later, his picture. The next morning, I take my picture and before I can send it to him, Ellie sends me his picture. And this is where he was continuing to connect to be able to see the new ways in which he can be able to take on some new things in Yiddishkeit, do it in the schus of someone who is on the front lines and be able to connect with him across that. Across the first couple of weeks, he only missed a couple of days. Um, The end of that, we actually created for him a little one-pager that all of his pictures that he had texted to me with a picture of a chayal in front of the Israeli flag, sent it to him to mark like his... Remarkable, you know, contributions that he had across the ocean and uh, across Yiddishkeit to be able to contribute this, and I think he might have shared it with his cousin. And I suggested also sharing it with his parents and stuff like that, give him chizuk. Now, two months later, Ellie is still in the routine. Ellie has built those muscles, and he's still bringing that back. We also I shared with him. um, There's a weekly compilation of Dvray Torah that I've been doing for the last 26 years, and I said to him, Ellie, one of the other things that your cousin probably isn't able to do is learn on Shabbos. Let me send you the compilation of Divrei Torah and find one thing in it to maybe read over Shabbos and keep it in my mind. And so we have been able to broaden it, be able to have him do more of that stuff. Um, There's just a story that I heard in Shul on Shabbos here in, uh, in Yerushalayim uh, that uh, one of the longtime um, uh, subscribers to Net Torah, Norman Stark, um, he was telling me that he had shared it with a family that's not from, if I'm understanding the the, the story right, um, and they had gone off the derech and like, didn't really have any kesher to, to Yiddishkeit. He shared it. They had seen him reading in shul, I think it was, and they had asked him about it, and he shared it with them. And he had me add them to the distribution list, um, and they, each week, on Shabbos, it's like the only kesher that they have, they will read a part of that, that Net Torah, the, 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 the compilation of the Divrei Torah. They are contributing to the community in possibly ways they don't even realize about being able to bring the Yiddishkeit into their lives in deeper ways than it would be otherwise. And so all of us in our unique ways that we can find a way that we can do it consistently or a new one each day and things like that, that's where the claw comes together and the power of being able to have everyone wherever they are in the world as Yiddin, being able to bolster the the Medina and the Eretz Yisrael. That's one of the key things for us to find now.
0: Wow. That is really a beautiful message. I also just parenthetically, I love the Chayadam shout out because that was where I davened as a as a young boy. That's a really beautiful message. And thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Okay. It's my pleasure, Jakob. Thank you so much. Hatsalakha Rabu with everything that you're doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to StarTink. If you're still listening at this point, that means that you've enjoyed Please take a moment to give us a five-star review. Make sure that you're subscribed and share this episode with a few friends. I want to thank our production team, Yoni Schwartz, Yitzel Schridman, and Yossi Book. Until next week, keep on steiging, Kevra.